join me in praying. Heavenly Father, we ask that as we look into your word this morning, that you would look deep into our hearts and our lives, and that by your spirit you would speak to us, encourage and equip us in all areas of life to live kingdom first, every day of every week of every year, for your honor and glory in the name of Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Back in 1988 or 89, I'm not sure which one it was, I just know I was a freshman in high school, and I went to my first concert. Bakersfield, California, uh, largest auditorium in Bakersfield, which wasn't that large because it's Bakersfield, California. And I saw Cinderella. Anybody remember Cinderella? Wow. Uh, somebody up here is really excited about Cinderella. And I don't really remember a whole lot about the concert. What I remember is the floor area was standing room. And so it didn't matter what your ticket was. It was first come, first serve, get in there and get as close to the stage as you could get. Now, on the stage were speakers that... I don't know, picture all of these and like 10 more stacked together on each side and then you stood in front of them. It was a brilliant thing to do with really loud heavy metal music. So we went through a little concert and uh, the next day, this was a Sunday evening because that's the only time they had opened to come to Bakersfield was a Sunday evening. They had important cities to go to on real nights. Monday morning, we had our hearing check. <laughs> and as you might have imagined, they go in and they put those things, and you're supposed to be listening for those certain frequencies. I completely failed the hearing test. They sent stuff to my parents saying he could never be an airline pilot, and I mean, there's certain things he just isn't cut out for because his hearing is bad. Um, and that morning, my hearing was bad. Now, the way I listened to my wife, she would still say my hearing is bad. But it's not because of a Cinderella song. I failed that test. We have been talking about testing for the last couple of weeks. As you come into the book of James, he just starts right off the bat with testing, trials. And what we've been talking about is the way in which the trials can mature us which is why he says find joy in them. And where the trials cannot produce wisdom, we're to ask, but it's in a committed way or we won't receive what God has. And as he comes to the end of this little mini section, in verse 12, he's gonna kind of wrap up trials, at least what he's saying about them right now, by coming back to it. But before he gets there, he's gonna talk about what I would argue is one of the hardest tests we face. It is something that Jesus talked about a lot in the Gospels. Wealth. Of all the various tests that we have, money is something that tests us deeply. And so if you open your Bibles to James chapter 1, 
James is going to talk about wealth. And he's going to talk about just really two categories. Um, it is a bit more complicated today, but in his time, there were basically the poor, which made up the majority of the Roman Empire, and then the rich. There was a slowly developing class of merchants and workers who didn't have to work the land, but it was nothing like what you think of as middle class today. They really had two categories, and most people fit in the poor category. And so James is going to come out with this last part, and he's going to say, there is a wealth test for the poor, and there is a wealth test for the rich. And he wants both to pass. Right? Here's what he says. Verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Lowly here does not necessarily mean poor. It's a reference to status as a general term. However, he's going to put it opposite rich. And so likely for James, while lowly can just mean low in society... His primary reference here is probably poor versus rich, as he's going to say in a moment. Brother is specific. These are Christians. Hey, brother's not generic, like, hey, brother. Um, it's not that. He means Christian poor. Let the Christian poor boast. And this word is part of our key. Um. Boasting is really not something we tend to encourage, right? I mean, you don't encourage people to boast. You don't encourage your kids to boast. In fact, it's usually the opposite. Um, stop bragging on yourself. I mean, that's kind of what we think of. Right? This word is a key to understanding what he's talking about and what the testing is. Even more than that, it's how you face the test. Right? He's going to put the test out there, but then there's a countermeasure we won't understand the countermeasure without understanding this word boasting. The word means something like to take pride in, to have confidence in. Right? And it is much more than, uh, actually let me say it this way, James is not here talking to us about what we should do with our money. It's not his point. Um, he's not talking about how you should spend it or whether you should save it or whether you should have a lot or not have a lot. That's not the issue he's dealing with right now. Right? It is not about what you do with your wealth. It's about what your wealth can do to you. That's what James is getting at. Honestly, in this section, he could care less what you do with your wealth because it's not the point. If you will figure out how to not let your wealth control you, then you'll do the right things with your wealth. Right? Here's the picture that I want to paint for you. And I'm going to be transparent here, um, almost to the point that I'm embarrassed about what I'm about to share. Um, hopefully you'll you know, have a modicum of respect for me when I finish with the story still. Um, my wife, as many of you know, um, she was a doctor. Technically, she still is a doctor, but she's not practicing. Um, when she was practicing, we had money. Right? She was a doctor. We had money. And I remember at one point going to the country club with some friends for the 4th of July, the fireworks. 
And I remember walking through the country club and looking around, and on 4th of July, there are lots of people at that country club, some of who belong, some of who are just family members or friends like we were. And I remember looking around. This is just really embarrassing. Um, and I remember feeling prideful. I remember feeling kind of puffed up as I walked through because I looked at some people and I thought, we deserve to be here. Isn't that an awful thought? But here's the reverse, okay? My wife's not practicing anymore. We don't have anywhere near that kind of money. Um, she made more money by herself than we make together, by far. Well, we still got invited to the country club. And I remember walking through the same room and wanting to hide, feeling like I don't belong here. Like, I just, we shouldn't be here. Um, these people are like above us. Um, that's what I felt. Nobody was doing that to me. Nobody was like, oh, look, at, there's a poor person. Uh, nobody was doing that, right? And beforehand, nobody was going, oh, he's got money. Let's praise him. Nobody was doing that. I was doing that to me. I was feeling that. This feeling, that's what James is dealing with. James is dealing with the way in which wealth controls us. The way in which we would view ourselves or others based on our money. Now, for the poor, they have no reason to boast. They have nothing to be, I mean, I'm talking about first century right now. They have nothing to be confident in. Right? They live day to day. They have no idea from one day to the next if they're going to have food. The government does not help them in the first century. There's no welfare. There's no, the government doesn't come along and go, oh, let me help you out here. No, that doesn't happen. They are lucky to have four walls that won't fall down. They have no security. They have nothing to hold their heads high. And most of them have no hope whatsoever of getting out of that. They truly are the lowly. Right? And society tells them that and they feel that way. They have nothing to boast in. When I walked through that room and I had no money and I felt like I didn't belong, that's how they felt all the time. And here's James saying, you have something to boast in. Hey, the way you combat the insecurity, the way you combat the feelings of, I'm not worth as much as everybody else. Or today, there's probably jealousy, bitterness. I should have what they have. I work just as hard as that person does. Why can't we take vacations like they get to take? There's all these things inside of us. Or let me just keep working more and more and more. As long as I get more money, things will be better. James says, instead of telling you, no, money is bad, or no, you don't need that, or anything like that, he says, I want you to boast in your exaltation. That word means on high. It usually refers to heaven. Um, when the disciples go in and they're supposed to wait from power from on high, it's the same term. 
here you probably have the image that Paul uses in Ephesians. Where are believers? They are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. That is where we are now. We are exalted already with Christ, and when he returns, we will rule with him. That is our identity. And James says, that is what I want you to see yourself as. I want you to have confidence in that. I want you to take pride in that. Instead of worrying about all the things you don't have and what they do have, I want you to remember who you are in Christ. Boast, take confidence, have pride in the fact that you are with Jesus Christ in the heavenlies. And when eternity comes, that's what you have. That's where you are. That's the switch he wants them to make, the way he wants them to think. That's how he wants them to pass the test of wealth when they are poor. There was a deacon in the church in the third century. His name was Deacon Lawrence. And he was a deacon during a particularly difficult time under Valerian when there was an absolute persecution of the church. And there was a point where if you were a believer, and especially if you were a believer that owned stuff, you had some money, you were very likely to be killed. Brother Lawrence, Deacon Lawrence, sorry, Brother Lawrence is a different guy from many centuries later. uh, Deacon Lawrence, he found a way to try to protect some of the believers. He knew that their wealth was actually what was drawing attention from the Roman Empire. So he began to take the wealth of the church and use it to care for all the poor and the handicapped. Then they wouldn't have the wealth anymore and be a target, and the poor would be taken care of. Well, he got captured, and when he was brought before the Roman authorities, they knew that there was this wealth in the church, and they told him, we will spare your life if you will bring the silver and gold and the wealth of the church to us. And he asked for three days to bring it, which they thought, we got it, great. So he went, and three days later, he came back, and he had with him a bunch of the poor and the handicapped and widows, and he brought them before Valerian and said, here's the wealth of the church. This is the silver and the gold of the church. And in one way, it was literal, because this is where the money was going. But he also believed what Jesus said, that blessed are the poor, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. And he stood before the Roman Empire with the wealth of the church. Being poor, number one, does not mean God doesn't care for you or that somehow you're being punished or anything else. Being poor does not mean you could not strive in your life to raise your situation. What it does mean is the predominant thinking, the mindset, the identity, is we are exalted with Christ. 
Society might look down on us. We may feel lowly at times, but we need to remember we are exalted with Christ. And if we start there, then we deal with our poverty and our struggles. But then he flips it. The rich. Now, this gets even more complicated because it's not just upper class, middle class, lower class, and all of that. It's also American versus the rest of the world. Because as all of you know, compared to the rest of the world, nobody in here is poor. Whatever your economic status is, you are not poor compared to the rest of the world. You have a house with electricity and plumbing. Most don't. Um, however, we have to deal with our culture. And so this next part could apply to all of us, but for some of us, we have more money than others, and we need to think about this, because there is a test for the wealthy. He keeps going. Um, verse 10, and the rich in his humiliation, now, he doesn't provide brother or boasting, but both words are implied in that. The rich brother should boast in his humiliation. Now, the rich in their world, I mean, they were, they lived luxuriously. They could get whatever they wanted. They had servants and slaves. They were not worried about the next day except how they were going to party the next day. I mean, it was a very different world for them as opposed to the poor. But you have to have that in mind because that's why he will talk about the humiliation. Notice, one is lowly. They need to think about how they're exalted in Christ. The other one in society is already exalted. So he wants them to think about something else. Their countermeasure is something different from the poor. Their countermeasure is the humiliation of Christ. When you think about Jesus, he is richer and has more honor than anybody in the universe. And yet, just think through his life. He came to serve, not be served. He washed the disciples' feet. That's the job of a slave. He was abused so that others wouldn't have to be. He gave his life for those who really should have given their lives. He sacrificed instead of standing up into all of his glory and saying, this is what I deserve. That's what I was doing when I was walking through that country club. Here's, I deserve to be here. I mean, really, it wasn't me. My wife deserved to be here. I wasn't making any money. I deserve this. Christ didn't do that. And you remember the Philippians 2 passage? Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very form of a servant. That's the humiliation. Notice, James doesn't say this. Hey, rich people, stop being rich. Hey, rich people, give everything away. Now, you find that in some other places, and that might be you, but that's not a general command for everybody. He didn't say that because, again, this isn't about what you do with your wealth. It's what your wealth can do to you. And when you are wealthy, you know you are less likely to depend on the Lord at times, right? 
Because you don't need to. At least you don't feel like you do. When you are wealthy, because I can tell you what, when I was wealthy, I still wasn't happy. When we had money, I still wanted more. Even when we had a really big, beautiful home, and even when we filled it with whatever we wanted, just about, I still wanted more. The point here is not start with how you spend your money or what you do with your money. The point is start with who you are. Start with how you view yourself. When you can start with an identity that says, I'm a servant first, that my master washed his own disciples' feet, what does that mean for me? When I can start there, then I can figure out what to do with my money. But if I don't start there, I am likely to hold myself above others. I am likely to think of myself as above others. I am likely to keep pursuing more because it's never enough. But when I start with a servant's mentality, when I start with the humiliation of Christ and move from there, then I think James would say you'll do the right thing with your money. And it's interesting that he gives some explanation here. And I think the explanation is given because the poor person already knows they have nothing to boast about. The rich person, I thought I had something to boast about. Here's what he says. Because like the flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises and its scorching heat withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also the rich man will fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Um, just recently, like, I don't know, six weeks ago or something like that, we had that massive heat spell. You know, like 10, 12 days of 118 degree weather. And my backyard, I don't know what yours looked like, but there were cracks in the ground. I mean, it was across the street at the public, just cracks. Like you could reach your hand down into them. It was so hot. It was killing everything. And I was watering my flower bed as much as I could, and there were still flowers just falling off. His point here, and you all know this, right? Your riches don't last. And guess what? Even if they do, you don't. At some point, your riches might go beyond you because you don't. But eternally, you do. And if the thing you've put everything into are these flowers that fall off, what does that mean for eternity? But when you put everything into the same thing Christ did, service and sacrifice and loving others, then eternity means something because that goes with you. And that's his point. Anybody see The Da Vinci Code, the movie? I didn't. I may bury the book. I didn't do that either. Uh, but it was really super popular. I mean, for a season, it was like Da Vinci everything. Here's what's interesting about that. It's called the Da Vinci Code. Leonardo Da Vinci. Do you know when he was born, he was given the name Leonardo? There was no Da Vinci. In fact, his first added name, he was born Ill illegitimately. Um, his dad slept with a servant, and that's where he came from. But his father let him use his name, Serperio, and so he was Leonardo de Serperio, or Peri, it's, it's um, Italian, so I don't know how to actually say it. Um, that was his name for a while, 
However, he was born in a little hamlet that was next to a larger hamlet, and the larger hamlet was Vinci. And his family had power, and so they got to call themselves Da Vinci, or from Vinci. And when he left to go study, he actually wanted to be Leonardo from Florentine. He didn't really want Da Vinci, but it stuck. And for about 500 years, very few people who actually knew anything about art were calling him Leonardo da Vinci. He was just Leonardo, the one and only. I mean, DiCaprio has to use his last name because Leonardo's taken already. Jordan. Everybody know who I'm talking about? Any other Jordan has to use something else. They're single name people. Leonardo was a single name person. And here's the thing, when you call him Leonardo da Vinci, you actually take something away. Do you know how many people were born in Vinci? I mean, you've got like thousands of people that you dilute him by adding it. Can I tell you something? Wealth has the potential to dilute who you are because Christ is our main identity. And when we start going, you know, John the wealthy, we are losing something. Because the only identity we should have, the thing that we're living out of, is John of Jesus Christ, whether I am poor or wealthy. And when I do that, I have the opportunity to pass this wealth test. And boy, you want to do that, because here's what happens. Verse 12. I know in your Bible, for most of your Bibles, this probably starts a new paragraph. Um, I disagree with that break. Um, a number of scholars do. Um, and I disagree with it because I think verse 12 is still the positive parts of trials and testing. And verse 13 flips. It begins to talk about the other side. But here's what it says. Here's the ending of all this stuff on trials. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Same thing we talked about in week one. That idea of enduring under the test, living through it, going through the test. Because when that happens, for the one who once he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Now, crown here is not primarily rulership. Don't think like a king putting a big gold crown on their head. This is the victor in the games who would get a crown showing their victory. This is a crown of victory. When you have stood the test and you get to the end, you get a crown of victory, and of life doesn't mean somehow it's made out of life. It's a crown that is life. The victory is eternal and abundant life with God. There is nothing on this planet that can compare to that. Everything else will fade and die. But to be with God, to have life that goes on with him for eternity, that's what he says you have to look forward to. That is real wealth that does not fade or die or perish. Real wealth. The crown of life.
Money is a tough subject, plain and simple. Whether you have a lot of it, you don't have a lot of it, whether you have ups and downs, it's just a tough subject. People have all kinds of background. I mean, every time the church brings up giving or something along those lines, and you have to have that initial reaction of, you know, are they going to come more for me? Or, I mean, just, there's all this stuff that's tangled in with money. Here's the key to what James is talking about. And if you leave with nothing else, I want you to think of this. It's not so much about what you do with your wealth, but what your wealth is doing to you. And the way you counter that, James says, is if you don't have a lot, instead of thinking about yourself as, I don't have a lot, you think of yourself as, what is true? I am exalted with Christ. I have everything I need for all eternity. And on the other hand, if you have a lot, instead of starting with this, I'm good, I've got a lot, this is what I can have, or I should look to this next thing, or, I mean, here's the really ugly side of having a lot sometimes, and again, I'm just being honest, I really hope I'm not the only one who's going through this, because otherwise you're really gonna have a bad opinion of me. But there have been times where even my giving to the poor has been done out of pride. Look at what I have to offer. I mean, it's ugly. It is really ugly. But that's why wealth is such a test. What do we do with our time? What do we do with what has been given to us? How do we view other people? How do we view ourselves? And what James says is, I want you to start with the humiliation of Christ. I want you to identify with him as a servant, as one who sacrificed, as one who gave, as one who did not consider equality as something to be Equality with God is something to be grasped. Start there. That's your identity. The problem with the hearing test that I took was not the music I was listening to. You can argue whether that was, you know, good music or not, but... It wasn't the music that was the problem. It was not that I went to a concert. It was not that I enjoyed going to that concert and was part of a mosh pit. It was not that. It was that the music had so much impact on me that I couldn't hear the other sounds. It was so strong that it drowned out everything else. James is trying to make sure that wealth doesn't drown out everything else. That it's not so big that you lose sight of who you are in Christ, not just who you are in the world. That you can't hear what God is doing. That you can't hear where God wants you to actually spend your money or save your money or what job God might want you to be in because it's so loud. He's trying to counter how loud wealth can be so that we can use wealth for the kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Let it enter into our hearts and our minds 
God, into the way that we think and live so that we can be changed, so that we can be more like Christ. We can be transformed into his image. And Lord, especially in this area of wealth, God, I pray right now that nobody leaves here feeling guilty, feeling attacked, but that each one of us, no matter where we are in our wealth, we would instead self-examine how much is my wealth determining how I view myself, how I view other people, what my actions and motivations might be. Lord, and then help us to see our exaltation in Christ and our humiliation in Christ, that we might live out of what is true. Your word is more true than anything we experience in this world. Let us live out of that. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.